Hi everyone and welcome to Sustainability Sparks. The goal of this Guidehouse series is to spark new actions up and down the value chain and provide food for thought on the issues that industry is tackling, including energy, buildings, ambitious climate targets, supplier emissions, climate risk, and resilience. I'm Matthew Banks. I'm an Associate Director with Guidehouse focused on sustainability and based in Washington, D.C. We will discuss today the MIT uh, Sustainable Supply Chains Initiative. Our goal, as in the other sessions, is to provide a perspective and food for thought on breaking sustainability and climate topics. Um, and this one has generated a lot of interest. Your host today is Vincent Hone, my closest colleague who came to the United States to, to help build the sustainability practice, a Dutchman by nationality, but a global citizen. He's the Associate Director of the Sustainability Practice at Guidehouse, and he, he leads from his post first in Chicago, then in New York, now in the Deep South. He'll tell you more about that. But we're really looking forward to this, this session where we'll talk to Suzanne Green, the, the MIT Supply Chain Initiatives Program Manager. With that, Vincent, take it away. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be uh, today's host and uh, very uh, excited, Suzanne, that you are uh, joining us. So we'll look at MIT's sustainability, uh, Sustainable Supply Chains Initiative. And Suzanne, you're the uh, program uh, manager uh, of the uh, initiative. Good afternoon. Yeah, and why don't you just start with a quick overview of your journey that made you arrive at the position you're at today? Thank you, Vincent, and thanks, Matt, for inviting me here. I'm really pleased to be here today and to speak with you all and looking forward to the conversation and to your questions at the end of our discussion. So please think of questions, stump me. Yeah, so I'm an environmental scientist. I'm an ecologist um, by training, and that is, I would say, a more rare thing at MIT, which is a school of engineers. Um, but I got my start doing ecosystem restoration um, and working with endangered species and um, water quality issues. Um, and I was able to apply what I learned there. Um, part of my, one of the first projects I did um, out in Oregon was quantifying ecosystem services. So how do we put a number on different things like water quality or shade from trees. Um, so, you know, what methods do we use? How do we do that? Um, so that led me to MIT. Um, I started the first program on environmental footprinting at MIT, which was a collaboration between the Center for Transportation and Logistics, which is where I am now, and the MIT Materials Systems Lab. And so that work has continued and we've keep growing more and more in this um, sustainability topic and, and obviously a huge issue worldwide. So glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for that uh, introduction. And I can imagine uh, after living in Oregon, uh, and I believe you lived in uh, Portland, that uh, you even uh, increase your uh, passion for nature and uh, ecology uh, so yeah, thanks again for joining us. And uh, personally, uh, I've also had the pleasure of living in uh, Oregon. Uh, before that, I was working uh, from the Netherlands as already uh, introduced by uh, Matt. Working in the field for uh, 15 years, uh, fully focused on um, sustainability and uh, energy. And uh, it has been an incredible pleasure working with large food and beverage companies, pharma, 
utilities and that list uh, continues um, on and on um, uh, across the globe and I've seen a lot of um, uh, change and uh, I think it's safe to say that we're also seeing a lot of change and interest in the topic of uh, supply chains and uh, supplier interaction so that makes it even uh, more exciting that uh, we were able to get you as our uh, presenter uh, today. So again we'll be uh, talking for just 20 minutes and then we want to open up the mic for any uh, questions from the audience. And uh, just as a reminder, the session is um, recorded and uh, we'll be uh, publishing this podcast later uh, this month. Yeah, so let's uh, dive uh, right in. And uh, can you maybe just tell us a little bit more about the origins of the MIT Sustainable Supply Chains Initiative? Yes, absolutely. So as I mentioned, we're based at the Center for Transportation and Logistics, which is the de facto home of supply chain management at MIT. And that's where the supply chain management master's program is based there. And we've done work for, you know, over a decade on sustainability at the center. And, you know, the center is a big place with many people. We have about 100 people now working on different um, aspects of research related to the supply chain. So we have megacity logistics, omnichannel, digital transfer transformation, humanitarian logistics, we have a freight lab, and we had a responsible supply chain lab. And so what we decided to do was bring together all of this expertise into one kind of umbrella group. So that's how the Sustainable Supply Chains Program was born. And what we tried to do is basically get as many people at the center as possible working on sustainability, because we realized that this topic, it requires a lot of different types of expertise and the people that we have in the center, for example, that are experts on artificial intelligence or reverse logistics or you know freight, different issues with freight, we can channel their expertise into this topic. And so that's my goal in life is to make everybody a sustainability guru. That's great, that's great. And one thing that stri strikes me uh, when I uh, was doing some research uh, on you and your work is that immediately I see uh, pictures popping up of you collaborating with um, businesses and uh, driving change in that respect. Uh, can you uh, share a little bit more on that as well, maybe from you personally, but also uh, from the uh, initiative? Yeah, so most of the engagements we have are with industry. So we're very practical in our research. Um, we try to keep things as applied as possible because, you know, the students that come through the program, they go into industry primarily. So we're really trying to give them, you know, as much real world experience as we can and to really solve the real challenges. And my work has been primarily around carbon accounting. So how do we calculate, set climate targets, offset carbon emissions, particularly in the supply chain? And I write these long, boring methodologies about carbon accounting that, you know, set the standard for how, how you know, you need to, to account for carbon. But the work really is in collaboration with industry because there's no point in someone like me writing a method, you know, in my office that's really technical, that no one can understand. I've done that. And I shifted really to make sure that anything that I'm writing, anything that I'm doing is actually usable and understandable by the layperson as much as possible. So people still complain that the methods are too complicated, but 
you know, we really work to make these things as easy to understand as possible. So one example of that is the Global Logistics Emissions Council framework, which is a methodology for freight transportation carbon accounting. We wrote a version of that back in 2015, and everyone said it's too hard to read. This thing is works, but I can't understand it. We had all these equations and, you know, it was technically correct. Um, but we got a lot of feedback and, and I, you know, I worked with industry for years to apply the method. So that's kind of my, the way that I do things. I'll write something, then work with companies to apply it and see how yeah. it works in the real world, see how their databases work, how can they actually apply it. And then we rewrote the method in 2019, kind of redid the entire thing, even though the principles are the same and all the math is essentially the same. It's we hope that it's much easier to understand, and yeah. and that's that's how I am able to do that. I I, I think I remember a couple of those uh, equations. They were definitely uh, impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, yeah, maybe just one. Um, I mean, we live in a changing world, uh, especially in this field. A lot of a lot of it is changing uh, rapidly, and this year uh, that change has been um, exponential, uh, including uh, through the pandemic and. What I'm wondering about is if if you see any things that are changing more rapidly than others uh, in your field of uh, expertise. I mean, this is 2020 has been an interesting year because everybody now knows what a supply chain is, right? Prior to this year, maybe people thought, I'm not sure what that is, or they had a rough idea, but never really thought of it before. But now I think everyone knows, you know, this is how we get our toilet paper and this is how we get our masks and all the things that we need to have these days and, you know, supply disruptions. We all got a fast education on that. So, I mean, I think that yeah. alone has been an interesting development this year, this kind of unappreciated behind the scenes phenomenon that that we know about. We We live this every day, but you know, now it's in the public sphere and it's something that we all kind of care about in a new way. And I think that's really important for sustainability, right? That we know where our goods are coming from, how they're produced, who's producing them and, you know, having that knowledge. Yeah, and uh, related to that, uh, did you see uh, specific individual companies or maybe groups of companies uh, invest uh, their efforts or uh, resources uh, in specific initiatives? Um, did you see any changes there versus uh, last year? Well, I think e-commerce, you know, is probably the big story of 2020, right? That suddenly no one wants to go to the store. I don't know, wanted or wants, I'm not sure if that's present or past tense, but, you know, we learned that we can buy, we really can buy anything online and it's more convenient and maybe it's more safe or we feel that it's more safe. So, I mean, I think that's the big shift. It was already happening, but now in 2020, we know there's no turning back, you know, from this e-commerce boom and, you know, this whole new level of online ordering is, is just changing everything. So I think companies are having to adapt to that and what does that mean? And, you know, I think there will be winners and losers in this. Yeah. So obviously Amazon is doing thing, pretty uh, well there. Anything related to that that makes you worry about sustainability or do you see it more as an uh, opportunity for sustainable uh, supply chains? I mean, thinking purely from the low carbon perspective, 
I do think it's an opportunity, though I think, you know, some companies might not might suffer. There might be some sort of turnover here, but I think there is an opportunity to rethink the way that our supply chains are structured to be more efficient and to cut down on, you know, unnecessary trips, consolidate loads, you know, have more centralized warehousing. So actually, I think it could be a good thing for sustainability if if done right. Okay. Yeah, so could be kind of a green rebuild opportunity. Yeah, let, let's see. I mean, I think it's a we need to reinvent the system and I think we know that anyways, right? That's that's what we keep hearing about with the coronavirus, um, that this is our chance to have the great reset the World Economic Forum is calling it, right? So if we want to do that, you know, we we need to make new systems and that takes time and it takes dedication and it takes infrastructure. So let's see if we can commit to that. A great reset. We'll uh, remember that one. So um, yeah, one, one other topic uh, we always see coming up around supplier interaction is a lot of the manufacturing and logistics do not take place around the corner. We're talking about an international ecosystem with a lot of complexity, a lot of uh, different levels of influence. And I think we also see that this differs uh, sector by sector. Some sectors are more local, some are more uh, international. I was wondering if you have any perspectives on sectors where the international uh, aspect of supply chains is more relevant than in others. And then also if you have some initial thoughts on uh, how to run effective programs uh, around that complex international uh, topic. Yeah, I mean, I think many companies are sourcing all over the world, right? And I'm sure companies on this call today have are sourcing different materials from around the world. And, you know, something that I got really fascinated with um, in the last couple of years is mining. So that's another thing that's kind of off the radar of our daily lives, right? I'm here in Basel, Switzerland. I don't, there's no mine anywhere near here, but we depend on these mined materials. So I think that's a really interesting manifestation of like the deep supply chain and something that you know, continues to come more into view if we think about, um, you know, sourcing different things. And, you know, mining is related to so many different things. So if you think of food, fertilizers, many fertilizers are mined and have to be transported all around the world to different agricultural fields. And then you think about packaging for food, plastics, right? Where is that coming from? That could be sourced a number of different ways. Fashion also you have agriculture and plastics involved there. And, you know, all I think these things end up converging. And, you know, I think mining really struck my fascination because they it does reach all sectors, whether we know it or not. And often they're really kind of uncomfortable social or environmental issues in these mines, right, around the world, whether it's a dam breaking, um, or slave labor, or you know, different issues that that hit um, all the sectors. So, to understand a mine, to understand the mine at the end of your supply chain, really is kind of next level supply chain thinking, right? You're getting all the way down to the dirt, you know, to where things taken out of the earth, and that that's what we're really curious about, and what we'll see if companies can do well is, um, you know, to be able to trace to that level, and to ensure you know, what you're buying is what you want to be buying. 
And do you do you think that that needs to be high on the agenda for um, procurement teams, sustainability teams, because um, these mines might be three or four steps removed from uh, their uh, day-to-day uh, buying practices? Um, yeah, just curious if you think that should be, this should even be a consideration, and how do you get around like three or four steps up in your um, value chain in order to uh, address these uh, challenges? Yeah, I think it depends on what what you're buying, right? If you think about iron and steel, steel is the most ubiquitous material that we produce. The issue there, thinking climate change wise, is the steel making process. And it's less about where the iron, you know, the iron ore production. And I think iron ore is actually a really interesting one. But if you think about the material, right, it goes from Brazil or Australia to China and it gets melted. And it's very hard to know from there, you know, where, which mine did it come from? And does that matter to us as the end consumer? You know, so this is a massively, massive production scale. And we still are not sure where it's coming from. And then yeah. you think something like cobalt or tin, tinselum or gold, you know, that's in IT products. A lot of companies got hit with that, right? Conflict metals. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of companies invested in finding out exactly what mine did these materials come from. And now we're talking about like just tiny, tiny amounts of cobalt or or gold that are in your IT products compared with something like steel that's mined on such a huge scale. Um, I think it's a real challenge, but we see it, it can be done. Time is flying uh, on our interview and uh, in our preparation call, we knew that we had limited time and many uh, questions, but I do uh, wanted to ask you uh, one question before I uh, ask the final question. And that's what direct interaction with suppliers and that can be uh, collaboration or support uh, you see as very um, uh, effective. So if a large brand uh, engages with tier one uh, direct suppliers. What, where, what kind of interaction? What kind of collaboration? What kind of support do you see leading to most change, most effectively, most quickly? Well, I can say, you know, what companies do. So we did a survey um, last year for our state of supply chain sustainability report, which just came out. Um, we did a pretty huge survey and interview process to see, you know, how how companies are actually doing this tracking. You know, what tools are they using? Everyone says blockchain, but is anyone actually using blockchain? But we saw what companies found are most effective are supplier code of conduct. So having a contract with your supplier as to what you you think is appropriate, and audits. So those are the two tools we see being most often used. Does that get you past your first or second tier of suppliers? It may or may not, right? So there are companies that are dedicated to tracing, you know, back these, you know, down the tiers of suppliers and trying to do these types of audits. But there is no really easy, easy way to do it. But I think ultimately each player in the supply chain is responsible for being transparent right and like making these connections and it's really hard for one company like an end user of materials or a big you know buyer to to do everything right it's up to everyone in the chain 
And that's the kind of connections we're trying to figure out. Like, can we build a data sharing protocol between these companies along the supply chain where we can get, you know, I'm looking at carbon footprints. Is there a way to communicate this information effectively, you know, so we can actually find out what our carbon footprint is and how it might change over time? And I think it's possible and it's only possible if we ask the questions. We actually um, may uh, do another deep dive uh, meeting with you uh, to dive into some of these uh, topics. But if you uh, look deep down inside, is it is your preference uh, or do you think it's more uh, effective that uh, companies work with a carrot or with a stick? Enforcing change or collaboration? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, ultimately, the biggest incentive you can give to your supplier is to buy their goods, right? That's the ultimate carrot if I'm going to buy <laughs> it or not. So yeah. you have all the power when you're in the procurement position. So, yeah. you know, we really hope and we try to work with procurement people, specialists to empower them to understand, you know, what they can ask, how they should ask it. For example, in the logistics emissions framework that I spoke about, we put right in the guidance, this is what you should ask. Copy and paste this text and please just ask it this way and everybody ask the same question the same way. You know, so I think there's a lot of power in procurement and, and then setting, you know, once you understand, we still have to get to the first level of like basic understanding. Once we get to that level, then we can start to make you know, more um, level of emissions we accept or not, right? So a rating yeah. for the intensity, carbon intensity of, of a material that you could start to kind of drop that. I think it's unfair to start with that. I think it's more fair to start with the discussion, be more transparent, and then try to move shift towards lower carbon intensity. How do we do that? That's a, that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. So <laughs> if you get to give uh, companies, one piece of advice, of advice, something they should start doing tomorrow, uh, what would that piece of advice uh, be? I would say quantify your sustainability, you know, figure out metrics you can use, make it a KPI. So we know companies, they live and die by the KPI. And if you don't have CO2 as one of your KPIs, it's not going to be treated as such. So there's a lot of different ways you can embed CO2 into your decision making. And that goes back to what I said before is you have to ask the questions. You need to ask your suppliers for information. And I can tell you from my experience that if these people on the call today, when you start asking questions, you know, everybody starts to change. It's like a domino effect. So yeah. you might not think a small question like what is your CO2 per ton of product? That makes a huge difference yeah. um, in my world of sustainability. Yeah. Ask your questions. Yeah, great. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for uh, joining us and for today's um, uh, interview. Um, I'll hand over to Matt for the final part of the recording. And Suzanne, thanks again very much. Yes, thank you, Suzanne. And uh, for everyone on the line, on behalf of Guidehouse and MIT, I want to wish everyone a healthy and happy week. We try to keep these short and and uh, concise and, and efficient so that it doesn't take too much time away from your important work and responsibilities. Our guidehouse team is thinking about the big picture and what a corporate supplier engagement council of brands could do to help advance this issue. 
So you've probably heard about that. And we help companies to set targets. We deliver support through the implementation phase, and we're also supporting the delivery of scope three greenhouse gas reductions across the globe and, and supply chains. The Council of Brands um, grew out of a working group and a, a roundtable that was hosted in November, and those brands have now come together to think about how can they continue that work and start to look at what are the ways in which they can mobilize four different parts of their supply chain and look at the rewards, recognition, and push that they can put behind getting companies to, to eventually um, set science-based reduction goals. Thank you for joining this episode of Sustainability Sparks. Please join us on future episodes for the latest insights on resiliency, sustainability, and the global energy transformation. Follow our GuideHouse Energy, Sustainability, and Infrastructure page on LinkedIn or visit GuideHouse.com. Have a great day.